Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. And uh, today, we're, it's a special podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the threat posed by uh, cyber, or cyber risk, and the macro economy. Uh, and of course, I'm joined by my two co-hosts, uh, uh, Ryan Sweet, the Director of Real-Time Economics, and Chris Dorides. Chris is the uh, Deputy uh, Chief Economist. And we're also joined by uh, three of our colleagues from the rating agencies, Moody's Investor Service. And so this is a special podcast. It's the first podcast, I think, where we've had both folks from Moody's Analytics and uh, MIS uh, together. Uh, and in, it, because of that, it's important to recognize that uh, that the folks from MIS may have different views than those from Moody's Analytics, that's us. And the views expressed by guests from one company or division within the Moody's family can't be attributed or shouldn't be attributed to other companies or, or divisions. It's also, I think, important uh, for, me, for me to say that, you know, by listening to this podcast or downloading it, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions that's found at moody's.com slash disclaimer including any information provided is not information or financial advice and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of, of the information. I mean, clearly this is a language that's necessary in the context of this uh, podcast where we're going to have folks from both the MIS and, and Moody's Analytics. And I do think this highlights uh, one of the very special things about the Moody's Corporation about that just shows the uh, very talented group of folks that we that we have there. So with that, let me bring in uh, our guest from MIS and begin with uh, Jim Hempstead. Jim, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you landed where you are today? Sure. Thanks a lot. And uh, by the way, I'm a huge fan of your uh, weekly podcast. Uh, I very much enjoy uh, watching the three of you, and I agree, uh, great talent on, on that on that podcast that you do every week. But I manage the uh, North American... Well, Jim, Jim, this is really important. Jim, Jim, this is important. Which of the three do you mm. like the most? That's the key question. I'll let you know at the end of the statistics game. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Uh, very good. Very good. Okay. But Mark, I, I'm part of the project and infrastructure finance team here at Moody's. We, on a global basis, rate a little over $3 trillion of debt in the electric utility, gas, midstream, water and wastewater sectors. And we have a lot of municipal uh, and other infrastructure sectors like airports, seaports, and toll roads. I manage the North American portfolio. Uh, and I also manage a small team, and we've got uh, Leslie Ritter and Leroy Terrellong with us, uh, on a cyber group inside the rating agency. So our job is not to manage Moody's Corporation cybersecurity, but what we are trying to do is raise the knowledge and the awareness of our 1300 global credit analysts so that when a cyber event affects one of the rated entities that we that we work with, we could respond more uh, authoritatively and have better engagement with the marketplace by doing that. And this all really came about back in 2015, I would say, when uh, the utility industry was doing a lot of introspection on their cybersecurity capabilities. And, and I started to have a conversation with uh, our chief information security officer for Moody's Corporation as a way of starting to learn more about it. And we've really grown over the last bunch of years uh, as a result of that. Did, did you say how many years you've been with the Moody's, Jim? I've been at Moody's uh, since 2002. So uh, 2002. Well, about 20 years now. And prior to that, I was in the investment banking sector. I started out at Fantastic. Terms. I did a run through uh, Smith Barney, Solomon Smith Barney, and, and then also uh, Merrill Lynch for the first uh, 12 years. 
all in infrastructure sector. Got it. And, and, and Leslie, uh, Leslie Ritter also is joining us from MIS, the rating agency. It's good to have you, Leslie. Hi, thanks for, for having me. Yeah, so I'm Leslie Ritter. I've been with the firm for 10 years now, almost 10 years, and working for Jim for almost 10 years. So uh, I, I started out really uh, as a credit analyst in the um, electric utility and natural gas pipeline space. Prior to that, I was doing uh, work at GE Energy Financial Services. So we underwrote different power deals um, all around the world. And at that time, we never talked about cyber. Uh, but since joining the team with Jim, we started a discussion, like you said, in 2015, thinking about cyber and how it would impact our companies. And we realized that we really hadn't thought that through so much and we wanted to know more. And over time, uh, we built our team and created our own cyber team Think 2019, and I've been I've been there since. So it's been really fascinating, and I'm really thrilled to be here today. Oh, so you've been working with Jim for ten years. I know. Hence all the gray hair. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. Good. Hey, and we also have Leroy Terrellong. Good. Good. Uh, uh, good to have you, Leroy. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, so I'm, I guess, the junior member of the team or one of the junior members of the team. I've only been at Moody's for three years since 2019 when the cyber risk group sort of had its formal inception. And my background is I started working as a language analyst for the National Security Agency um, wow. and then ended up oh. sort of falling into cybersecurity uh, and uh, really becoming very interested in sort of the links with financial performance. I did a master of international business degree. And then when the opportunity at Moody's opened up, I was like, wow, I mean, how, how many opportunities are there to have cyber expertise and then also, you know, marry that with uh, financial performance. Um, and so, yeah, I've loved the past three years that I've been here. You said you were a, a language, what? A language for, analyst. Analyst for the NSA? That's correct. Yeah. I uh, speak Persian Farsi. No way. Really? Oh, yeah. Did you know I'm I'm uh, Zandi's a, is a Persian name. Yeah, of course you knew that. You yeah. didn't know that. I knew that. You get? Oh, you guessed it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. My, you know what? I it's I I'm uh, uh, disappointed to say, but I don't know Farsi. You know, when my dad came over from Iran, he was a student, and at that time the philosophy was that you needed to be an American. You had to speak English. You cannot. You should not speak the language from where wherever you came. So I, I don't, unfortunately, know Farsi. Such a beautiful language. Absolutely. And difficult, right? That's a very hard language to learn. I believe. Um, it's, it, I mean, it, it, I think the difficulty comes to the writing. Um, learning the writing is probably the hardest part, but speaking, like you said, it's, um, it's very beautiful and it has a lot of um, traits that it shares with under, other Indo-European languages um, like English. So um, it's not so hard on the speaking front. Do you know any poems? Because my dad, all he does all day long is recite poems in Farsi. <laughs> I do, but I don't, I don't know and if I can recite any of Pomegranates <laughs> and recite poetry. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. You know any poems? Um, um, not off the top of my head. Okay. I, 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 I do really like Iranian poetry, but uh, you put me on the spot here. I'm feeling no, really no, no, impressed. no. Okay. <laughs> no, no. And Iranian food, right? I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah, every year, um, a new tradition for my family. We're not, we don't have any, you know, birth links to Iran, but yeah. um, my husband and I, we have a, an annual uh, Noru's Persian New Year yeah, sure, party. Huh? And uh, yeah, we, cool. we eat lots of uh, great Iranian food. 
Okay. Well, it's so good to have you. It's a really a pleasure to have all of you, and thank you for uh, spending some time with us. So, uh, again, the purpose of the conversation is to get a better grip on cyber risk. Uh, it, when, you know, what it, of course, we're macro economists, so we're really curious if there's any nexus between cyber and the macro economy, but obviously there's a lot of in-between between companies and governments and everything else, individuals, everything that's going on. So maybe we should just level set and talk about what is cyber risk you know what are some examples of the threats posed by by cyber uh leroy you want to kind of lead us down that path a little bit sure yeah it's 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 good to have an idea of what a cyber attack is because you hear about that all the time in the news and it may not be clear for listeners what they uh, should expect when they're when they hear about cyber attacks so basically a cyber attack is anything that impacts what we call the CIA triad. It's not the Central Intelligence Agency. It's not the Culinary Institute of America. It's confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Um, and what that means is confidentiality, think data that people shouldn't have access to, or at least unauthorized access to. Um, you want to keep that data secret. So a data breach like the cyber attack against Equifax in 2017, that would be an example of something that's affecting confidentiality. On the integrity front, this is you want to make sure that the data that you have is accurate. It hasn't been changed or manipulated. Um, and so one example of an attack against integrity was in 2014, uh, attackers were able to change the uh, election results for the um, Ukrainian election. And they figured that out 40 minutes before they were supposed to announce <laughs> the election oh, results. That. Yeah. Um, so they caught it in time. They're able to you know, um, fix that. Um, but that's that's an example of an attack against integrity. And then lastly is availability, and that's making sure that you you are able to access the information you have in a timely manner. So um, uh, ransomware has been a lot in the news recently. That's when people lock up your data, um, you know, say that you have to pay a ransom to get access to it. That's an attack against the availability of your data. Is uh, ransomware the most prevalent form of cyber risk at this point? It feels like that's what's mostly in the news. Is that top of mind for most businesses when they try to uh, protect themselves for, against cyber? It's definitely having a moment, right? Like I feel like um, cyber attacks, different types of cyber attacks um, have shelf lives. And right mm -hmm. now we're in sort of the cycle for ransomware. It's very profitable. Um, and uh, because of the business disruption, a lot of organizations want to pay. Um, so uh, un until we see some sort of movement on deterring uh, ransomware attacks, uh, we, we think it's going to have, you know, uh, uh, a long shelf life. It's going to have a lot more impact. Right, right. And I guess I oh, go ahead, Leslie. Oh, I, I was just going to yeah. add, just because when I got into cyber, I always thought of availability of data as being, you know, like customer information. But availability, availability of data is a lot more. Because if you think about it, different types of manufacturers operate on digitally enabled machines that operate off of data, right? So you could disrupt a machine through some kind of ransomware attack, and that's affecting the, the availability of data too. So I just want to make sure your, 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 your listeners understand that we're not only talking about you know, customer information, but data is everywhere. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What about denial of service? That also is, that seemed to be more popular a few years or the popular form of cyber risk a few years ago. Is that right? Do I have that right? 
That's right. Yeah, especially in the early 2000s or 2010s, I should say, uh, people might be familiar with Anonymous, uh, the the group that had like the, um, yeah. yeah, they had the weird videos, the the voice, you know, we are Legion, blah, 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 etc. Um, the industry really didn't have a good handle on denial of service attacks, which is when you send so much web traffic to um, uh, to a server that it can't it can't handle um, the, the legitimate traffic, so people can't get to websites. Um, but since then, there have been leaps and bounds in protecting websites from those sorts of attacks. And so you don't really hear about uh, DDoS attacks as much. They, they happen, but they're not as impactful as they were in the early 2010s. Right, and what about phishing? That's the other, at one point was popular. Is that still an issue? The phishing where people kind of send you an email or text or something and yeah entice you to click on it and then they've got you they've infected your machine yeah phishing is a is a perennial um yeah. risk that we see i mean um you know at moody's at any organization basically yeah. you're working at you're probably seeing these phishing tests where they uh they send you a a, a message and then uh, if you click on it then you get something saying oh you fell for this phishing test yeah. you know you might have to go do some some extra um that happens remedial. to ryan all the time leroy yeah <laughs> happens to him all the time he batting perfect for that uh, I always live in fear of those because, you know, imagine if I fall for one of those and I'm on the cyber risk, oh, right? Like You must be sweating all day long. <laughs> I'd be so embarrassed. Just yeah. don't check your email. That's, a, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the response. Yeah, that's, that's the right answer. Are, you know, uh, are, are we pretty good at people getting better at, they must be getting better. I, you know, one thing I've always wondered, is it the same people that always fall for the phishing, uh, uh, you know, efforts? I mean, some people just can't resist. Is that, is that, that's kind of sort of in my mind. Is that true? Is that what happens? To a certain extent, yes. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. organizations never want to fire somebody because they've fallen victim to a, a, yeah. a phishing attack, right? It's, it's to raise awareness, it's to make sure people know that these sorts of uh, threats are out there. Um, but there have been instances where folks have so egregiously just clicked wantonly on you know, all these things coming in. Yeah. Um, it does, uh, uh, some some companies have made the decision that at some point it has to affect your performance uh, evaluations. Yeah, I'm so, you know, I'm so paranoid now that if I see anything that I don't know exactly what it is, I send it to my IT guy and say, should I click on this? <laughs> and I'm thinking it would be nice for the, every, the company to have someone like that where I could just say, hey, should I click on this and get an answer back, you know? You're not aware of the button on Outlook that says phishing. You hit that. I am. Is that what that's for? I'm supposed to put it over there into the into the. Oh, I just sent it to Gershman. In, well, well, now Gershman's not with us anymore, but yeah. with to Sal, you know, and say, mm -hmm. "Hey, Sal, should I click on this?" That's, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure every, Sal loves getting those emails. It's the phishing <laughs> clicking that is one of the most um, uh, frequent methods for people who shouldn't be in the system to get into the system. And that's why companies test so much for it. And you do have a handful of employees that always fail the test. Yeah. You, when they fail the test three or four or five times, that's the, you know where you have to try to decide how to remedy that situation. Okay. Uh, any other in new things coming down the pike here that you want to call out in terms of new cyber risk? I mean, all these things we talked about, ransomware, phishing, denial of service, they're all pretty, we pretty, have a pretty good grip on those, we understand. 
understand what they are. Are there some things out there that we just are so new that just kind of coming on the scene that we should be aware of? I think maybe the one that you didn't mention is data breaches. Okay. And that's not new, but what's happening is the attackers are merging two different types of attacks. So ransomware and data breaches together. So they would go after you and hold you ransom and say, if you don't pay us, we will disclose all your information to the public. So it's kind of a, you know, a, a new tool. Well, not, not so new anymore. It's been about, it's been what, Leroy, two years that they've been doing this, but that's been wow. a more potent type of attack that's come up um, oh, interesting. on that end. And I, I, I think I'd add really quickly too that um, I think in the cyber security field, we're always sort of interested. What's the new, the what's the newest thing? What's the newest type of attack? But you know, most of the attacks are pretty much been the same for a long time. Um, they are able to use the same techniques to achieve the same end. And just like you know anybody else, cyber criminals are often lazy. They, they want to get the biggest bang for their buck by doing the easiest thing. So um, we, you know, we want organizations or organizations um, are, are often like, hey, you know, what's the newest, sexiest new attack? Um, but really focusing on the tried and true methods and, and uh, basic cyber hygiene practices um, is, is really where uh, they're going to uh, protect themselves the most. Yeah, I think maybe what's new and not so much in terms of types of attack, but who they're going after. Hmm. They're finding ways of attacking maybe um, higher profile companies or companies in spaces that they didn't used to go after. So like industrial companies and uh, energy companies before it was very you know retail focused, banking focused, and now they're finding ways of going after different industries, which might require a more sophisticated skill set because you have to go into these these kind of physical operations in order to tamper with them and and cause problems. I was just gonna say I, I like to to use the, the 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 phrase you know cyber risk is not as bad as you think it is, but it's worse than you know. Hmm. And and to Leslie's point, the interconnection between the information systems, the, the IT systems, the information technology systems, and the operations of these industrials and widget makers is something that I think we'll, we'll see a lot more focus on going forward, because you can use uh, the IT systems to disrupt the operations. You, you know, I'm thinking about temperature and flow and pressure and, and um things of that nature that actually makes the widgets, you can disrupt them through a cyber incident through the IT system. And the Colonial Gas Pipeline uh, story, which we're about the one year anniversary of that is, is a great example of that. Right, right. Hey, uh, maybe we should move on. That was a very good uh, uh, assessment of all the different ways cyber is affecting us and talk a little bit about the costs uh you know jim you and i've been kind of having this conversation about uh, having this uh, cyber risk uh conversation in the podcast for quite some time and i was always struggling to figure out well does this does this risk rise to a, a level that it becomes a broader macroeconomic problem and uh, uh can you give us some context here how big a deal is this in, in the grand scheme of things in terms of the costs so, so the, the, the costs associated with a cyber event can be defined and measured in many different ways and the, and the costs uh, range. So uh, I think uh, this morning we were emailing about the almost trillion dollars worth of global costs that you cited. 
There's another uh, number that's been cited of, of $6 trillion. It's, it's sort of the third largest economy if you include that. When we think of costs to a, a, a company, uh, we call them issuers in the rating agency because anybody can issue debt. It doesn't have to be a company. It could be a project. But we think about you, you know, the impact on regulatory oversight, reputational damage, lost revenue. We think of litigation, uh, liquidity impacts, and other types of you know, off-balance sheet liabilities or contingent liabilities that could incur. But a, 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 if you add the numbers up, they can get very big. So a trillion dollars is, is a lot of money. But if you compare it against the $22 trillion US GDP, you know, maybe it's, it, it tells you one thing. If you compare it to the global GDP, it, 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 it gets very small. But if you compare that against the $2 trillion of revenue that global utilities generate every year, it becomes very large. So as we think about cyber losses, they get dispersed in, in a large pool but if they get concentrated in a particular sector or a particular region or a particular asset class, that's when I think we can finally really uh, have that discussion about the macroeconomic impacts of that. Yeah, I think that what you're referring to is I, I found a, a, a citation from the Center for Strategic and International Studies that they, they, they estimated that malicious cyber attacks cost the global economy, I believe it was last year, almost a trillion dollars, almost a trillion. And as you said, the U.S., I think the U.S. GDP is, I think nominal dollars is 22 trillion. I think you're, that's, and then global GDP is probably about a hundred trillion dollars. So that's about 1%. But, you know, if you think about it in the context of like climate, so if you look at the, I was just looking at this, if you look at the total uh, economic cost from acute physical risk, these are, you know, floods and hurricanes and fires, that kind of thing, comes up to about 350 billion per annum. So, you know, that's obviously a, a lot, but this dwarfs that, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And it feels like it's rising quickly, right? This doesn't feel like it's going in the other direction here. If, if anything, it's just going to become more and more costly. When it's rising quickly. And that's actually one of the potential statistics game is, is uh, 4 trillion, 8 trillion, and 21 trillion. Oh, okay. So we're playing the game here now. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, okay, so I didn't. Oh, yeah, that's right. You wanted to play the statistics game uh, in the conversation. So, okay, so we're going to do that. that Leslie and uh, Leroy, do you have statistics as well? Uh, no? I prepared one if you want one, but uh, we can. I, I know the answer to Jim's, so that's cheating. But that I have be one cheating. quiz Jim on later. That w that's kind of sort of what Ryan does every once in a while. So that's not. not no, I'm the one trying to investigate the <laughs> collusion between Zandy and, and Chris over there. Okay. Okay. We're going to play the game. The game is we each state a statistic. In this case, it's got to be cyber related. And the rest of us try to figure that out based on the deductive reasoning questionings and questions and clues. So go ahead, Jim. What are the numbers again? Four trillion, eight trillion, and 21 trillion. And this is cyber related. The 20 it's not, is it cyber related or is it your cyber 21, related? The 21 trillion is cyber related. Oh, the 21 trillion is cyber related. Oh my goodness. And Leslie, you know a, the answer. Is this a this? forecast over different horizons? It's, it's, yeah. we, we, we looked at what, what sector, what um, tool that by sector is most exposed to, to, to cyber risk, to e uh, environmental risk and social risk. So what he's oh. telling you is $21 trillion of, of issued debt. Is highly exposed to cyber risk. Eight trillion 
right? Eight trillion is social and four is environmental. You know, you know, uh, it's obvious Leslie doesn't understand this game. It's pretty clear. <laughs> did I give you all the answers? Is that what I did wrong? I mean, like <laughs> Leslie, what the heck, you know? No cowbell. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you might have said ESG that or something like that. <laughs> it's like okay, right? She, I'm, I'm done with this game. We're done. Okay. Like, how is he going to get us? Oh, great. that's a hard. That's, you see, oh, you felt bad for us. That's right. I did feel bad for you. A you're bit. saying you, you guys suffer. look like idiots. I, I, I I'm putting you out of your misery. Is what you're saying? Yeah, those those numbers, in fairness, were in the notes that we we sent about that. But for you know, to your point on on. <laughs> $4 trillion is the amount of debt that we looked at over all the global sectors and said, these are the sectors that are most exposed to environmental risk, which includes the physical effects of climate change, carbon transition, water management, $4 trillion. Uh, yeah. Is it $21 trillion. Now that cyber includes the banking sector. So even if you take the uh, 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 $10 trillion of debt out from the banking sector in that number, you're still higher, almost twice as high as the environmental risk. And the risk is today, as opposed to the longer term, the risk of environmental and climate change risk is today, but the runway is longer uh, than it is on cyber. So that's why I threw that. And I didn't mean to jump. That's, no, that's a great statistic, but just so I understand. So 4 trillion in outstanding global debt that is at risk of an environmental issue, oh, sure. meaningful. Seven trillion is you said social risk. Eight. Eight trillion social risk, and you said twenty-one trillion is cyber. That's right, and, and okay. the definition is high or highly exposed to that particular risk. And these are all in our uh, heat maps that we publish. Uh, yeah, so we have an environmental heat map, a social heat map, and a cyber heat map. And by, by the way, for the listener, you guys uh, uh, wrote a great white paper. Uh, that kind of went through this in detail. Is that is that paper available to the broad public or is that not? Just curious. Do you know? I don't know off the top. Oh, no. Okay. No I worries. think it would be, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a great paper. It's a great paper. Okay. Uh, okay, that's very good. I think we lost Chris. Hopefully he'll find his way back. Um, I think he bailed. Oh, you think After so? that number, there was a number. I ruined the scared game. Him off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> scared him off. He was, he, he's annoyed. Uh, okay. Okay. So, so uh, Leslie, you have a, you have a, a statistic as well. Well, I, we, we, so I, I, I like the idea of dimensioning cyber risk. So I was going to okay. try, it was, it's probably an easy one for you, but it was, or maybe a harder one for Jim. We'll see. I was going to say oh. if it's a trillion dollars of, uh, of global costs, uh, uh, of cyber costs, what is that? What is that equivalent in terms of GDP? What European country is that equivalent to? That's for you. Oh, Mark. I like and this one. Jim, I like this what, one. What is, what is the multiple of, or what is the multiple of Amazon revenue is that equivalent to? Oh, that's another good one. Okay, so mm. you're saying, okay, the, the, the estimated cost from cyber is a trillion dollars globally. Which European country has uh, annual GDP of about a trillion? About a trillion. Okay, okay. Well, he's, he's going to name a country and I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Ryan and Chris go first, unless you want, guys want me to go first. And Jim, do you know the answer? <laughs> don't know the answer okay you and leroy do you know the answer no okay all right we're gonna go around that we're gonna go around the horn okay chris you go first oh sorry you, you can't he, i don't think he's, he looks very confused dazed and confused, <laughs> dazed and confused. <laughs> ryan what, what is it what country oh here he is here, chris you can go oh did you hear i'm having chris? troubles here go ahead go ahead uh 
Trillion so dollars. Ryan, what country is a trillion dollars? I I think oh, I know. Romania. Romania? Are you out of your mind, Romania? We'd <laughs> <laughs> uh, love to be there. That's a good. That's a bad guess, but okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, Jim. Ireland. Uh, oh, that's interesting. I don't think so, but that that's interesting. Leroy. I'm gonna say uh, Switzerland. <laughs> Since Leslie's from Switzerland as well. Yeah, so. You're as bad as Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Chris. So which country has GDP? Of a trillion. A, of a trillion. You should know this. By the way. Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a pretty good guess, actually, I think. I, I'm probably dead wrong. Leslie, is it Italy? Chris, you got it right. The Netherlands. Netherlands. Oh, oh, Although I think I think Italy was also a trillion dollars, Leslie. I'm just saying. I think it's a little bit more than a trillion. Maybe it's a trillion too. Well, <laughs> Those two hundred well, billion no, it, counts, right? Hold it. Wait a second. My Switzerland was, was eight hundred billion. Might if, if it was twenty twenty, uh, it would be a trillion. I'm just. Yeah. Saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Now the other one was interesting too. You said a trillion is what percent of Amazon annual revenue? What multiple or percent? Uh, Amazon's, re I think Amazon's uh, revenue. Wow, that's a great question. Global revenue for last year. Mm, I don't know the answer to that question. I'd say it's probably got to be, guys, you want to take a guess? I'd say $125 billion. So, what, Amazon's 10 times, revenue? 10 times. Yeah. No? She's looking, she's being very coy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're really lowballing it there, I have to say. Oh, really? It's... Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Times five hundred billion. Is it five hundred billion? Of how much wow. my kids use Amazon? That's right, Jim. <laughs> I had no idea it was that big. Five hundred billion. Yeah. Oh. So it's okay. It's a, oh, I, had, I, I was going to say something about Bezos, but I, I'm going to practice the thumper mm -hmm. principle. Yeah. Okay. So I won't do that. All right. Very good. That was good. Um, Leroy, Mark, we're going to come back Italy's, to you. Uh, GDP was one trillion dollars uh, back in 1990. 1990? Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Italy? Italy. Oh, I, I was really wrong. Yeah, it's one. Oh, no, wait a second. Italy's GDP has not risen at all in 20 years. It's 1.9 trillion. Oh, is it really? 1.9? Yeah, all that tourism money from, from yeah, Chris. From Chris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. All right, let's, get talk, let's go back to the topic at hand. Hey, Jim, so cyber is obviously a big deal. It's also, it strikes me as being. Um, different than other kinds of risks, right? I mean, just in lots of different ways. Do you, do you want to uh, give us a sense of that? Sure. Well, so cyber is, uh, is indiscriminate. It, it, it does not respect boundaries. It, 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 um, it could affect any asset class, any sector, in any region at any time. So from that perspective, it's, it's a little bit unique compared to some of the other uh, risks that we think about. Um, Cyber risk is sort of ubiquitous to an organization because it can affect your reputation and some soft factors like that, as well as hard factors like your liquidity and, and, and your revenue. It, it, is, um, it, 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 can, it can show up in any number of ways an organization measures itself. And so from that perspective, it's, it's also a very evolving risk. And because of the digitization that we see taking place across, you know, industry and the economy in general, uh, it's morphing around in, in novel ways. And so we're always kind of chasing around trying to figure out how best to 
think about that risk, measure that risk, you know, define that risk, and then see how that risk changes over time. Um, it's it's really uh, been been um, uh, an interesting journey over the last couple of years, and I'm I I feel like we finally made it, Mark, because you and I have been talking about this now like for a long time, and 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 here it is, and and so uh, the geopolitical tensions that have taken place over in Europe right now uh, has really amplified that risk, uh, at least from a, a governmental perspective. So there's you know U.S. has shields up. We're very uh, on a defensive footing right now to make sure that we pr- have extra protections. And so, so that risk is, is, is probably going to show up in ways that, um, that are going to look creative. Hey, when I think, Leslie, about the uh, kind of the nexus between cyber and the broader economy, I kind of think of a few different things. And I'd like to just throw them out and get your sense of how big a deal it is. The first is around systemic financial risk that you know, you think about the payment processors or maybe the exchanges, that if they went down because of a cyber issue, that that would be a problem. Like if I, you know, went to use my Amex card or my MasterCard or Visa and I couldn't, that would, uh, that'd be bad, right? That'd instill some panic. Is, is that, how big a deal is that? Do you think that's a big deal? Systemic financial risk from cyber? I think it's, it's one of those key characteristics of cyber risk that we have to pay close attention to. Uh, the banks and the regulators are highly attuned to this and really uh, focusing a lot of energy on it. But it's true that if you think about the kind of uh, the sectors that underpin the functioning of our economy, so think about banking, think about energy, think about technology, right? Cloud, mm-hmm. uh, those are all highly integrated systems that are very digitized. So like you said, if the SWIFT system goes down, you know, it's a huge global issue. If... Uh, we, we, when we did our survey, that's the international uh, payment system. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. And when we did our survey, looking at cloud computing, we we asked our so we asked we, we reached out to about five thousand insurers and we got thirteen hundred answers. And of those thirteen hundred an- uh, folks that answered, this eighty seven percent of them said that they actually used uh, Microsoft Azure Cloud. So think about that. If Microsoft Azure Cloud goes down, and those are folks who answered from all around the world, from all sectors of the economy, if that cloud goes down, that's another huge issue. And, and, and on energy, w- which is where kind of Jim spends a lot of his time, a lot of the uh, the key components that go into producing energy are manufactured by just a handful of, of manufacturers. So if those manufacturers get tampered with somehow, the whole energy system could be at risk as well. So it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's a characteristic of cyber risk that's really, uh, that can't be ignored. So, so systemic financial risk. So, back to the payment processors yeah. or the uh, uh, the uh, uh, exchanges or exchange clearing houses. Yeah. yeah. The, the cloud services because yeah. they we're, we're all we're all on the cloud now, and so if the, uh, that gets uh, hacked and is taken down, that's a big problem for everybody. Uh, you mentioned energy, and that I mean, Colonial Pipeline shutdown is a good case study, good example of that, mm-hmm. which was highly disruptive. You didn't mention global supply chains. How big? How big a deal do you think it is for the movement of goods across the across the globe? Is this a big deal? Do you think is cyber a real threat there? Yeah, I think more of that, more like almost a contagion risk concept, more than systemic risk. Uh-huh. Uh, thinking of what happened with NotPetya, where it's, it just spreads. 
and start causing disruption across a, a whole series of, uh, of, of industries, which spills into the supply chain. Right. You said non-petia. What's that? I think Leroy is, is uh, the best person given his background to really. Okay. Um, so I guess the Cliff Notes version of NotPetya is that in 2017, um, in an attack that has been attributed by numerous governments, intelligence agencies, and uh, cybersecurity research companies to uh, the military intelligence uh, of the Russian government, which is known as the GRU, and that they um, uh, tampered with the update of the tax software that's mandated uh, by an, it's, it's an accounting company in Ukraine. And basically any entity that files taxes in Ukraine is required to use, or at least was at the time required to use uh, this company's accounting software. So they pushed out this software update uh, that had been tampered with um, to uh, a whole bunch of entities uh, in Ukraine. And then those entities in turn um, many of them were part of large multinationals, and it was able to spread worldwide. Um, and it was um, some what we call wiper malware that basically destroyed the computers uh, mm. that it landed on. Uh, and it just it, it caused a number of different um, repercussions. Um, uh, I'll, I'll let Jim talk a little bit about some of the financial uh, impact that, that took place as a result of that attack. So this was another statistic we were going to use, but um, eight multinational companies were affected by that NotPetya attack, and they reported about uh, $2 billion worth of financial losses, $2 billion. And if you add up the balance sheets of those eight companies, it was like a $350 billion balance sheet. So not a lot, again, to the point. But those eight multinationals had 233 customers that were affected. And they reported $8 billion worth of financial losses associated with it. And again, you know, relatively dispersed and diversified, but uh, almost 90 of those 233 customers drew their bank lines down across 37 different banks. Now that could get, you know, interesting very quickly. Um, luckily, zero credit losses were associated with those bank drops. So, so it worked out. But that's a great example of contagion and interdependencies of how everything connects together and why cyber risk is so important from a macroeconomic perspective. There's a, there's a few wild cards that are in there that are uh, floating around that we want to try to keep our, our eyes on. Okay, so we mentioned systemic financial risk, uh, the threat to the cloud, uh, the energy uh, system. Global supply chain doesn't seem like that's as big a direct threat. Anything else? Any other kind of major? So you're 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 the you know you're sitting at the White House and you're worried about cyber affecting the broader economy. Are there any other kind of choke points, stress points out there that can be exposed by a cyber attack? Anything that you would focus on or mention? The only other one to mention, and, and you know, supply chain kind of hits it a little bit, is is the stuff that we use all the time. So uh, energy, water. Uh, systems and things of that nature uh, uh, can be disrupted in some way, shape, or form. And when I say energy, I, I mean not only the fuels, but the electrical power as, as well. And, and you know, the, the grids are all interconnected. And as Leslie said, there's only a handful of companies that make the big components that make energy and power grids work. And so uh, it's, a, it's a concentration point. Okay. So it doesn't feel like... 
we, it seems, feels like we covered it, that there, you know, there, there isn't anything out there that we're just not thinking about significant vulnerability that could be exposed here. If we hit what, the high. what about infrastructure? Like, right. If we took down the uh, air traffic control system or, you know, shut down a port or something, right. Right. So, Go ahead, Leroy. Yeah, I was just going to say that the, the U.S. government has uh, identified 16 sectors as being critical infrastructure sectors. And I think, I mean, as a result, uh, or at least what it seems as a result of the um, the colonial pipeline incident that happened last May and the uh, geopolitical tensions in Europe, Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine, that uh, there's been a lot of movement in raising the standard and raising the minimum bar for these critical infrastructure sectors. So we've seen executive orders from uh, the Biden administration, um, as well as from uh, the uh, government agencies that that oversee some of these sectors saying you need to meet this minimum standard you have to have somebody who's responsible for cybersecurity in your organization you need to be doing weekly backups some of these very basic procedures to make sure that um, these critical infrastructure sectors that so much depends on and that you know something happened to them would cause uh, a lot of uh, hurt uh, to to the u.s economy um, have uh, some minimum level of, of pre uh, preparedness you know, I think the psychological damage on consumers would be enormous, right? If we, even if you lost the air traffic control system for a day, right? How are you going to regain the trust of the public? Right? That could have seen significant macroeconomic uh, repercussions, oh, even beyond the direct impact, right? Yeah, I mean, you can think it, 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 it was funny. We went through this exercise of those sixteen critical infrastructure sector. We're working on an update to our heat map, and I was talking to Leroy, and I, I, we were talking about assigning systemic risk levels to the sectors. And I think we were looking at what, 92 sectors, Leroy? And we were mapping them and each of one of them kind of fell in these one of these 16 critical infrastructure sectors. It's very hard to kind of say like, this sector is most uh, impactful mm. to, the, to, uh, to the economy in terms of, uh, of a cyber attack versus another. There's, everything's so interconnected. The water sector is hugely vulnerable, yeah, right? Uh, and important, uh, but we, we haven't talked about that either. It's just, there's base. I think that what we're learning more and more is everybody's exposed. Last week, we, we, we wrote about a, an attack on an agriculture company. You wouldn't think of agriculture as being exposed to digital theft, right? But it happens. And it just how happens that they timed it perfectly with when planting season is. Mm. You know, it's almost like, as economists, we're thinking about this and how to bring cyber in, into our forecasting and thinking about the economy. And at this point, we're treating it more just like a cost of doing business, like any other cost. It's not like an ex existential threat. Could, it could potentially be, it's a risk and maybe a scenario, but it's hard to construct a scenario where a big enough part of the economy goes down long enough for it to really take out the economy. Is that is that a reasonable way of thinking about it, or 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 am I missing something? You know, Mark, that that has been the view I think really since we started to uh, put our collective heads together on this. But it reminds me of uh, of the work that's been done over the last five to seven years that 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 because the cost associated with cyber is relatively manageable, we've only had a handful of uh, companies that have really been permanently or, or lastingly impacted by cyber. 
uh, cyber risks. But, but I think that's changing going forward. So as interconnectivity uh, uh, rises, as digitization increases, uh, as the um, tools and, and um, methods that a hacktivist or a hacker has continues to get more uh, dangerous in the hands of your average uh, hacker, that the, uh, the stakes at the table are rising. And, and so it's, it's something to keep an eye on those, those tail risks in terms of what is, what is an unusual event and what would happen if one of those events took place in a particular region or within a particular sector then I think it could change very quickly. Got it. Okay. Hey, you know, Leroy, one thing I find a little perplexing in the context of the Russian invasion of Ukraine is there hasn't been more cyber, at least to my cursory, you know, following of what events, there hasn't been much on the cyber front here, right? Is that, is that right? And is that surprising to you as well? I, I thought we would see a lot more of a response. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Russia is kind of ground zero for a lot of the uh, cyber issues that originate globally. Is, is that correct to say? Uh, that is. So there's a company called Chainalysis. They do mm -hmm. research on uh, cryptocurrencies. And based on their research in 2021, 74% of the uh, cryptocurrency movements connected with ransomware went to actors who are what they said, right. Russia, Russia affiliated or, or Russia connected. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that is the case. And as for being surprised about the level of uh, cyber activity in connection with the Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict, um, I would say yes and no. No, in the sense that um, there has been a lot of cyber activity. Um, Microsoft put out a blog at the end of April saying that six separate Russia-aligned nation-state actors have conducted more than 237 what they call operations uh, against uh, various Ukrainian entities. Um, uh, and these includes things like destructive attacks um, that are impacting uh, civilian welfare. But I think um, what most people were expecting are some of these splashier attacks. So, you know, in 2015 and 2016, um, the uh, Russian military intelligence, again, is accused of, of turning off the lights in various parts uh, of, uh, of, of Ukraine. Um, there was a NotPetya attack again that, you know, wiped out uh, hundreds of thousands of computers in Ukraine and around the world. So people were expecting really splashy, big scale uh, attacks. Uh, and what we've seen have been um, more moderate, um, less splashy attacks, uh, nonetheless impactful for people's lives. And I will say that um, there's been a lot of attacks back on Russia as well. Mm -hmm. um, not very impactful. They've been these DDoS attacks. So people have been sending lots of traffic, web traffic to uh, websites and services uh, in Russia. They've been stealing tons and tons of data. Um, one of the more higher profile ones has been the uh, Belarus. Belarusian or Belarusian Belarus, um, yeah. uh, cyber um, activists that have uh, impacted train movements um, of, of, of troops. So uh, again, not big splashy things, but there has been a significant amount of cyber activity. Do you know um, there's state actors, you know, state sponsored in some form actors in the cyber uh, criminal activities. And then there's this private, non-government related. Is there any sense of or any data related to how much is the result of one or the other? Do we know? 
Well, what, one of the really difficult things is that often they're the same, right? So they, they, they might wear one hat during the day. They might be a, a government or nation state affiliated hacker. And then uh, they do some moonlighting in the evening and uh, they're, they're financially motivated and using the same techniques or tactics that they're using in their day job to, uh, to pad their pockets. Um, before coming to Moody's, I worked at a, a cyber threat intelligence company where we actually were in these communities uh, where cyber criminals gather to exchange tools, techniques, tactics, um, and also to recruit for their various cyber criminal enterprises. Um, and yeah, there, it was it's very difficult to know um, exactly well, you don't know their identities are so, um, but they, there's been some investigations that have shown uh, extensive links, uh, particularly in some countries between their uh, cyber uh, forces and cyber criminals and cyber criminal activity. Yeah, you're a pretty interesting guy. Man, <laughs> really interesting. And, um, and Leroy, tell them how it's a business. I, you know, these, these, they have like uh, HR departments and yeah. No way. Really? Payroll. Yeah. <laughs> Payroll. There is so um, there's a, a large ransomware gang called the Conti ransomware gang. Um, and there was just a big leak of internal logs from that organization. Somebody was able to um, steal their communications and, and, and publish them. And yeah, you have people uh, writing in saying, hey, I need to take some vacation time, take going off with my family somewhere like it is run uh, just like a business is in, in many respects. Um, it's, it's the black market, it's underground, it's the black economy. Hey, one other question, you may not know the answer or may not want to respond, but how empowering is crypto to cyber? Is it a very, is that a big part of empowering the ability to engage in cyber attacks and get paid? Yeah, especially for ransomware attacks, right? Yeah. So, um, ransomware attacks have technically been around since the late 80s. 1989, there was the AIDS ransomware that was distributed on floppy disks to <laughs> AIDS researchers. Um, and But, you know, that to pay the ransom, you had to send the money to a PO box in Panama. And, you know, it turns out that when you go show up to pick up stolen funds or ransom funds that, you know, you can be found and that person the author behind that attack was was caught and put in jail um when you get the advent or at least the when uh cryptocurrency started taking off in the early to mid 2010s um then it became much more uh, feasible for ransomware attacks to to happen um and so that's when you started seeing ransomware attacks against uh individuals um, in the like three hundred to four hundred dollar amount range, and then as time has gone on, it's it's gone into like the tens of millions of dollar range as they gotten more sophisticated and more targeted in their attacks. Yeah, and what's super interesting about these ransom payments is, and the the, the these uh, or criminal organizations is they're largely very disciplined. They take this money and they reinvest it in their business to develop more sophisticated weaponry. So, going back to that one trillion dollar amount, it's a lot of R and D, right? Oh, jeez. That's, that's scary. That thought of that is just really scary. Oh, goodness. Now, I assume some countries are just better positioned to manage through this than others. I'm, I kind of hope the U.S. is in a good position. But, but, but Jim, is that the case? And what makes one country more susceptible or more impervious to cyber risk than others? 
to some degree, everybody is 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 on somewhat of a level playing field in the sense that we're all using the same internets and you know those types of capabilities. But there's a clear difference between the resources that are available for some of the developed countries versus some of the more emerging countries that are out there. Um, the United States, in particular, is is uh, very forward leaning on both offensive and defensive capabilities. We have very very sophisticated thinking around it, and, and we continue to work with our our uh, our friends and, and allies on 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 that. Yeah, I, I I was reading I think in foreign affairs uh, I can't remember it was around cyber issues, and one of the points being made was that the U.S. is somewhat insulated because the cyber criminals are fearful of retaliation from the United States, so that. That, that limits the attacks on the U.S. to some degree, or at least the severity of the attacks. Is that, does that ring true to you? Does that sound right? I'm not sure how much that sounds right. I'm thinking about, yeah. uh, I, I think a lot of the inbound is in the U.S. And, and maybe that's, uh, you know, just a function of our society. Um, but uh, I'm not, I'm not how, how, go ahead, Leroy. Yeah, I'll add really, really quickly that, you know, for, for cyber criminals, especially financially motivated ones, they have this line that they're trying to, to walk. They don't want to, um, they don't want to cause too much of a splash because then that will bring the full force and might of the U.S. government down on them. So you think about, we keep referencing the colonial pipeline incident. Um, in that case, because it became such a splashy attack, uh, the cyber criminals themselves came out and said, oh, we, we didn't mean to, we didn't know it was so important. We didn't mean to hit a pipeline, right? Like, uh, please back off. Um, we've heard from um, some victims of ransomware attacks that are hospitals that they, they contact the um, ransomware gang and say, hey, we're a hospital and the ransomware uh, gangs give them the decryption key and say, hey, you know, we're sorry, please tell the FBI or whatever that, you know, we gave you the key um, because they don't want the heat. Yeah, empathetic cyber criminals. Yeah, right. That, that's <laughs> Self-interested self cyber criminals. Yeah, self-interested. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a business, as you said. So they're doing risk management, right? So, right. you know, exactly. like any other good business, they're trying to they're manage their risks that they face. Good. You know, uh, again, back to the report you guys did, I thought it was fabulous and, you know, uh, obviously represented a lot of work, all the survey work that, that you did. Hey, Leslie, based on that, you know, are there some things you learned that companies, businesses should be doing, could be doing, or not be doing that would, you know, make them more resilient to uh, uh, managing through cyber threats and risks? Well, I guess the first thing I say is we're like as a rating agency, not in the business of giving cyber defense recommendations. Okay. So uh, all I can Good do point. is yes. <laughs> talk to again financial background, uh, but all I can I can talk to some some of the findings. What, yeah. What the uh, what we learned from from the the folks that we were able to, to survey and who uh, generously donated their time to answer to answer us. Uh, largely, it seems like they're attuned to cyber risk and there's a cyber operations that are being created within the issuers that we surveyed. That means that they have a cyber manager like, uh, and they have a couple of cyber folks working full-time within their organization. And largely they're doing the very bare minimum of what's called cyber hygiene, you know, using multi-factor authentication, scanning their systems. 
But once you start looking at more advanced forms of um, ways to mitigate the risk, then you start seeing a very uh, disparate set of responses based on, based on sectors. Um, banking seems to be way ahead uh, of the pack across the board in terms of how they look at how they, uh, they govern cyber, in terms of how they manage it from an operational standpoint on a day-to-day basis, and even from a risk transfer standpoint. On the other end of the spectrum, not surprisingly, the public sector is, is lagging. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Was that- I mean, it's, it's costly, right? It's a cost center. So yeah. you, you have limited ways you can allocate resources, and cyber is oftentimes the one that, you know, is probably not uh, the, the primary focus. Got it. Well, that's not, that's not very, uh, that's pretty disconcerting <laughs> that the public sector soaks, but I guess not surprising as you, as you point out. Uh, what what about uh, risk mitigation here on cyber? Is there a, 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 a way companies can use the insurance markets or some other form of risk transfer that, you know, to make this, again, because it feels like this is, it, it, at this point in time, more of a cost of doing business. So if there's a way to kind of uh, quantify that and compartmentalize it, then you can transfer the risk and make it more manageable. Is that is that is that is that right? That thinking and is there any efforts along those lines? Is that is that even a possibility around the cyber risk? Yes, yes. So there's there's this thing called uh, standalone cyber insurance or cyber insurance for short, uh, which is uh, quite popular. I think in our survey, I want to say about eighty percent, eighty five percent of of the folks that responded said they carried some form of cyber insurance. Um, that always sounds good. And there's some financial benefit to it, but the the, the policy coverages are actually quite small. Uh, but where 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 the 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 rest of the benefit is is that you get access to a lot of third party services. So if you're attacked, you suddenly have access to experts that can help you with you know uh, negotiating with with the the criminals, facilitating the the cryptocurrency payments, and doing all sorts of forensics. And that that's an added benefit. It's not necessarily direct financial. It's, it's avoidance of cost, I guess, uh, that, that's beneficial, but it's a very dynamic market. And maybe Leroy can kind of jump in here and talk about what's happening in the cyber insurance market because it's, it's, it's changing rapidly. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good circle back to my stats. So, um... Oh, good. Right. I was going to ask about that because I, I had not forgotten Leroy. I was going to come back. But you want to do your stat? Sure, I'll do my stat. And, you know, you have a good hint already that it's some, something related to cyber insurance. Yeah. And uh, the number is 300%. 300%. Is that the increase in the outstanding amount of risk that's insured over the past 10, 10 years? No, past, past five years. Nope. Okay, can you give us a hint? Well, okay. is, it, is it the increase in premiums? Oh, that's it. Year over year. Mm. Oh, no way. Yes. Wow. Four of some of the hardest hits. Way to go, Jim. Jim. <laughs> hey, Ryan, that is a cowbell moment. All, All right, right. I got to get it. Yeah. Hold on. That is a cowbell moment. Very good. That's great, Jim. Fantastic. <laughs> 300% from like what to what, do you know? Um, for, that's year over year for some of the hardest hit by ransomware sectors. So that includes things like education, um, government, and um, manufacturing. Oh, um, no, wait. I thought that's the pre- the increase in the premium. Premium. Exactly. Year oh, over okay. year, so the increase was, in premium. The premium last year was $10,000, and this year it's was 300%. $30,000? 30, 
yeah, exactly. Something like that. Yeah. Oh my. And at gosh. the same, then at the same time, the coverage is shrinking for some of these hardest hit sectors, um, because when you you have to remember that. Um, Ran uh, sorry, that uh, cyber insurance for a long time was focused primarily on uh, first errors and, and emissions and then on um, uh, data breaches. And those do not have the same sort of loss magnitude as ransomware attacks uh, have had. Um, and uh, one of the biggest drivers of that impact is the, is the business interruption that comes from that. And so the insurance companies, they just weren't ready for it. Um, and they experienced um, heavy losses. Um, wasn't profitable for a number of uh, for a number of cyber insurers, and some have even exited the cyber insurance market because they decided it's it's just not um, it's 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 they they can't, can't continue to carry it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Hey, Ryan and Chris, did you guys come up with uh, statistics? Did you did you have a statistic you wanted to throw out uh, to the group? I have Chris, one. Did you? Well, you have Chris one? can go first. Yeah. Okay. I'll Chris, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. And, then, and then I and then I do want to end. And I want to end on a high note. I'm going to ask each of you guys give me some good news. Okay, please. Uh, some some good news. Okay. All right, Chris. What's your number? Eighteen thirty four. Eighteen thirty four. Yep. Not the date. Not the year. Eighteen thirty four. It is a year. Huh. It is the year eighteen thirty four. Yes. Are you? Are you kidding me? 1834? Yep. 1834. 1834. That might be the worst stat ever used. <laughs> <laughs> it's related to, hold it, wait. It's related to cyber, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, is 1834 uh, the name of a form of hacking? Nope. Okay. Is 1834 the name of a criminal cyber group? No. No. I think there was some event that happened in 1834. Yes, there well, you there's go. events, of course, events in 1834. <laughs> cyber related. But it was. I think it was <laughs> some sort of information manipulation, or oh, is, am I on the right track? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, oh, you want me to, you give up? Yeah, go ahead. We, yeah. We, I give up. All right. Apparently, the uh, French telegraph system was hacked in 1834, <laughs> and uh, oh, that's pretty good. That's good. That might have been the first uh, cyber attack in history. So. Mon Dieu. <laughs> uh, Leroy, Leroy gets a bell, Ryan. Oh, yeah. He does. He definitely gets a does. Bell. <laughs> That's pretty darn good. That's impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. All right. Very good. And Chris, what, I mean, Ryan, what is yours? What's your number? 5% to 35%. 5% to, to 35%. 35%? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so it's a range. Range, and it's cyber related. It is. Um, do you guys know any 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 guys any guesses? Any? Can you give us a hint? Without giving it we away, we kind of touched on it on some it of the really? okay. interconnected uh, probability of a cyber event, major cyber event in the next year. Uh, nope, nope. Uh, the percent of people who fi uh, fail phishing uh, tests in uh, the by sector by industry five percent is the low 50, 30, uh, 35 percent is the high no no I'll give you one more hint okay uh, it was this estimate comes from the Federal Reserve oh that's interesting um, cost to 
businesses or consumers? Uh, cyber cost is a percent of sales. Yeah. No, it's it's actually the the amount of uh, the, the impact on the Fed's payment system five five uh, percent to thirty five percent of the payment system would be down if one financial institution was hacked. Oh, oh. No, that's interesting. That's a good one. Yeah, that is a good yeah. one. That's a good one. Yeah. So, so just to say so one more time, if, so if five five percent to thirty five percent of the Fed's payment system would be would go down uh, if there's one attack on a financial uh, institution. One of the major, banks. It's got to be a major. Yeah. Major, yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. That, is that, that, is that the like Dallas Fed that. did that, Brian? Uh, maybe. I got to double check. I don't forget. Okay, that was good. Excellent. Um, all right, so good news. Any good news here, guys? Uh, let's go Let's go around the, the group from MIS. Uh, Jim, any good news? There, there is good news. Uh, okay. So the good news is you don't have to be a cyber technician to understand cyber risk. And we see more and more companies adopting uh, the cyber into the traditional risk management frameworks that, that these companies operate under because cyber risk is an enterprise-wide risk. It does reside at the board of directors or the trustees and things of that nature. And so we see CFOs getting more involved in making sure that they have the ability to talk about cyber in the same dollars and cents way that they talk about other risks. And they are making estimates on losses and they are making estimates on investments, which may or may not have you know, revenue growth or, or volume growth associated with it, but certainly has volume protection or revenue protection associated with it. And so they're moving in the direction of being able to articulate that through the traditional rate risk management systems that they have. I think that's a, a really good piece of news. That is, you know, I'm on a couple boards and uh, I'll have to say hyper vigilant about cyber risk of all the risks. And I'm not sure he's even rational how sensitive we are to, to cyber given all the other risks that we face. But you know, that's the one thing you just don't want to happen is that, you know, get a, have a ransomware you know threat. So very, very, you know, it goes through auditing, have auditors come in, take a look at your processes, making sure that there's no gaps or no holes, you know, making sure that we're filling any holes as rapidly as we can. So that, you know, just based on my very limited experience, it feels like, you know, U.S. companies and businesses are really focused on this as an issue. Yeah. Leroy, any good news? Oh, yes. And, and, and coming from you, th this this really means something. <laughs> um, so my piece of good news is that based on the results from our cyber survey, um, most of the, of the vast majority of the organizations that we spoke with are implementing the basic cybersecurity practices. So again, things like weekly backups, um, uh, having an incident uh, response plan, um, uh, using multi-factor authentication. And that's really good news because the majority of cyber attacks that are happening are basic and they can be thwarted using these, um, these basic uh, uh, techniques. Um, and so it's good to see that there's such a widespread adoption. That's my wife slinking back here, just so you know. <laughs> uh, that, that's a good one. That's a really good one. And Leslie, uh, lead us out with really, really good news. Great. So what I would say is there's new SEC guidance out there for cyber risk disclosure, which means that we should start getting more 
data about these cyber events, which was, oh. in our view, very positive. As we That's get more data, point. we can do better modeling. Better modeling means better decision making. So there's a big movement towards more integrating cyber risk quantification so that you can kind of estimate your dollars at risk based on different types of um, scenarios. And then you can prioritize your investments in cyber, uh, which uh, should lead to much uh, better outcomes going forward. When are we going to get more SEC information from the SEC? Do you know? When's that? They are in the review period right now. I believe the review period ends in June. Okay. And Great. part of the guidance that they put forward is that you need to disclose material cyber attacks within the four days of determining that they are material. Great. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah, that is good news. So, okay, uh, we covered a, a lot of ground here. Um, anything that you think we missed? Uh, just kind of an open-ended question, just in case I didn't miss any. We I missed something that we should talk about. Uh, anything, Jim, Leroy, Leslie, Chris, Ryan, anything? No. Okay. All right. I have one question. Yeah. Far away. Good question. Uh, economics related. Uh, and I don't think there's a, uh, a known answer here. Do you think that uh, cyber attacks go up or down in recessions? Are oh. they pro, pro cyclical or counter cyclical? That's interesting. I'm going to go with, they're going to go up. Like all crime, right? Probably. Like all crime. <laughs> I think crime actually goes down in recession, right? People are oh. at home, right? Good. There's, Oh, property crime, maybe. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, I thought. Okay, that's interesting. So your instinct is that they'll go up in in the downturns, just as a source of income revenue. Yeah. And it's just also because the trend has been up and it continues to go up. I yeah. think. You know. Right. Okay, so there's no connection then. It's just. It might be disconnected. Yeah. <clears throat> might be disconnected. Okay. Very good. Well, I want to thank you guys for spending so much time with us and really appreciate it and learned a lot and looking forward to uh, your next study. It sounds like you are got a lot of work here uh, ongoing and uh, doing a lot of really great work. So thank you for that. And with that, we're going to call this uh, a podcast. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>